as you guys gathered, as you listened to this passage we read, Jesus' topic this evening for us is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is the conflict that's happening right now over the ultimate allegiance in your heart. Do you remember the ultimate example of spiritual warfare? Jesus faces Satan himself in the wilderness as he's there fasting for 40 days. And what is Satan trying to get Jesus to do? He's trying to get Jesus to shift his loyalty away from his father to something else. So the different things right now that are challenging the loyalty in our hearts are spiritual warfare. And this is something that I have been becoming more and more aware of in the past years and months and even last week as I've studied. You see, I, I grew up here in Minnesota and the worldview that I mostly absorbed was one where most things happen for natural reasons and have natural causes. But as I go to the scriptures, we're challenged again and again and again to still see the world as both fully natural and fully spiritual. See yourself as fully natural and fully spiritual. If we go through our lives just trying to find natural explanations for our weaknesses and natural means for us to grow by and don't engage the spiritual aspect of ourselves as at conflict right now, and the spiritual forces that are at conflict with us, we'll never become as much like Jesus as we should be. So, as I was saying, spiritual warfare comes down to the influences on our hearts and where our hearts' loyalty ultimately rests. I think that one area that challenges the loyalty of our hearts deeply are the old habitual sins that we just cannot seem to get rid of. Sins that we commit year after year after year and just cannot seem to get away from. Do you have one of those sins that you're struggling to break free from? How do you think Jesus wants you to break free from that sin? That's one of the things that he's going to reveal to us this evening in this passage. How we can get freedom from some of the most deep, hard, and most dangerous spiritual strongholds that are still in our hearts. And maybe you don't know Jesus yet. And you're here. And you feel like your whole life is ruled by things you wish it wasn't. Well, tonight this passage is going to show you how you can be free. How you can be set free by the one who loves to set people free. So let's take a look at verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. So we see Jesus. He's doing what he loves to do. He sees a sick person. He sees a demon-possessed person. He sees someone suffering. His first impulse, his first instinct, is to set free, to give life, 
to show love. It's a very, very brief story. He just sees a demon, he confronts a demon, he casts it out. Jesus has an adversarial approach towards our spiritual enemies. He wants to confront your spiritual enemies, and he wants to free you from them, and he can. This is exactly what we see in this passage. There's a demon causing a person to not be able to speak. Jesus says, speak, and the man's able to speak. That's the kind of God that we serve. You see, there's no hesitation in his heart. There's no delay in his heart. His immediate response is, I want you to speak, and he gives the person the ability to speak. I just want you to think for a moment how hard it would be to go through life and not be able to express your wants, your needs, your desires, to not be able to talk deeply with others, to form a deep relationship with them. We, we see this story, and we see this man who is mute, and at first it maybe doesn't sound that bad to us, but church, this would be absolutely horrible to not be able to use your words to communicate with someone else. And what's more is that this physical manifestation of this person not being able to speak is only a picture inside of the damage this demon is wreaking upon his heart. One thing that about demons and demonic influence is that they influence our hearts deeply. They influence our souls deeply. And the, oftentimes they have physical manifestations body parts that don't work, mouths that don't work. And that's just a picture of what's going on on the inside. So Jesus confronts a demon. It's mute. He casts it out. And what does it say? The people marvel. So Jesus does a miracle and it causes the people to marvel. They respond exactly how they're supposed to. And friends, I love it. I love it when I see God's power at work in our family. I love it when I see God's power at work in my life. I love it when I see God's power at work in your life. There's nothing more I love than seeing God's power at work. And that's exactly what we're seeing right here. God's power is at work, and the people marvel. I love it when I see God separate someone from a sin. I love it when I meet someone on the street and I see God turn them away from alcoholism, turn them away from fear, from doubt, from shame. I just love it. And that's exactly what happens here. The people see Jesus and they marvel. And I just hope that we grow in our marveling, we grow in our celebration as we see Jesus do more and more powerful and profound works among us. Then we get to verse 15. So here we see another response to Jesus. Let's take a look at it. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. What is going on there? So Beelzebul is an ancient Canaanite deity. It means like the Lord of the Flies. 
And apparently, in the time of Jesus, Beelzebul became a name that is equated with Satan, since he's called the Prince of Demons. So what verse 15 is showing us is that not everyone's marveling at Jesus. Instead of marveling at Jesus, instead of surrendering to Jesus, instead of loving Jesus, some people accuse Jesus of having a demon. Now why would they do that? Because when Jesus comes, he comes with authority, he comes with power, he comes with a new plan for our lives. He doesn't want us to live like we used to live. And when he calls people out of that, oftentimes people are resistant to that. We love our old sins. We love our old lives. So instead of surrendering to Jesus, they find a way to get out from under his authority. And they say, Jesus, you are not casting out demons by God. You are casting out demons by Satan. Now this, friends, is one of the most evil, slanderous, awful ways anyone has ever treated Jesus. Just think about that. He comes in the power of the Spirit and gives someone their speech back to them. And their response to Jesus is, you're a servant of Satan. You're working for the demons. Friends, this is one evidence of how depraved the human heart is. This is wickedness. This is awful. To tell Jesus, who is in the very act of giving a human being their speech back to them, giving them their life back to them, you are of Satan, Jesus. That is the one of the most, this is one of the most evil things we can see people do in the scriptures. And it's a warning to us, church. It's a warning to us that oftentimes we will twist logic, we'll twist logic in order to justify our heart's desires. So just a warning to any of us tonight, a warning to any of us this evening, if you are rejecting the person of Jesus, or you are rejecting anything that he has said, and you think you have a good reason for it, you're actually twisting logic. Our fallen hearts will come up, will influence our minds to come up with good reasons, or so they seem, to do what they want. I'm pleading with us right now not to trust our heads, not to trust our hearts, but to trust God's word, first and foremost. Do you feel temptation to leave Christ? Do you feel temptation to disobey something that he has spoken to us in his word? Look to this book. Look to what he said. Don't listen to your own sinful desires that would lead you away from Christ. Friends, it is not our nature to submit to and love Jesus with everything. It is our nature to submit to and love ourselves. So be aware. Be aware of your heart. Be aware of its desires. Be aware that you can deceive yourself. And look 
to the truth where Christ loves to give it. Verse 16. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So there's another group within this crowd. One group is marveling at Jesus. One group is accusing him of being a servant of Satan. And one group is just kind of hanging back, waiting for a sign. Does that seem strange to anyone? I mean, Jesus literally had just healed this guy's mouth. They just saw a sign. What's going on? This group of people is hanging back because they want to hang back. The evidence they've seen is not enough because they don't want to believe the evidence. The point is that whether your opposition to Jesus is active and vocal and obvious or subtle and hidden and not obvious, it's still opposition to Jesus. He's going to get to this later in, the, in this chapter. If you see verse 23, it says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Friends, we might say, well, I don't blaspheme Jesus. I don't accuse him of being a servant of Satan. Yeah, but are you, are you subtly resisting him? Are you disbelieving some of his work? Are you... Do you have an area of your life carved out where you obey self rather than Christ, even if no one else knows about it? Both these groups are resisting Christ. Both of these groups of people are opposing Jesus. Whether it's obvious and atrocious or hidden. Now, in the rest of our passage, Jesus is going to address the people who blaspheme him openly. Scott's going to preach next week on this group of people who's looking for a sign who Jesus follows up with in the next passage after ours. Okay. So verse 17. Now, what do you guys think would be a just punishment for these people who blaspheme Jesus? Like, what would be a just punishment for that the Son of God shows up. He heals someone. He, that, that person didn't deserve to be healed. Those other people didn't deserve to see the healing. He just did it out of his mercy and grace. And then people start saying to the person who made them, start saying to the person who healed that person, you did that because you're a Satan. What would be the just ju judgment at that moment? I would not be surprised at all if verse 17 said, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, wiped them out. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, put them to death. Which, in other situations, in my own life, I could think the same thing about myself. But God, knowing Ross's thoughts, put him to death. I think all of us could say that. But what we're about to see is the incredible mercy of Jesus. Let's take a look at the incredible mercy of Jesus in verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, 
So maybe they didn't even say it loud enough to him that he could hear that they said you're doing this by Beelzebul. Maybe they didn't say it loud enough, but he knew. He knows my thoughts. He knows your thoughts right now. He knows those thoughts that you hope no one else ever finds out about. He knows them. He knows every single thought. And he responds to you and your thoughts with the same mercy and compassion that he's going to respond to this crowd and their horrible thoughts. He said, so what happens is that instead of wiping them out, like, quite frankly, they deserve, instead of wiping them out, he starts to reason with them. He tries to start talking them off of the ledge. He tries to show them why what they're thinking is off. So they're, they're basically committing spiritual suicide. They're doing something so awful that it's spiritually deadly to themselves. And Jesus is saying, hold on. Hold on, let's talk through this. I want to reason with you through this. I want to help you. So let's take a look at Jesus' help for them. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided house falls. What does that mean? Well, they're saying that Jesus was casting out demons by Satan. The only problem with their logic is that everything that Jesus did was undermining the kingdom of Satan. So how could Jesus be a servant of Satan if everything he's doing is undermining the kingdom of Satan? That's the opposite of a servant of Satan. So you see what happened? They so despised Jesus in their hearts that their minds came up with a crazy explanation for what was going on. That's what happens when our hearts really, really are stuck in sin. Our minds come up with crazy reasons and explanations to justify our sin. Verse 18, And if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If Satan was commissioning his servants to cast himself out of other people, it wouldn't do anything. His kingdom would immediately evaporate, would immediately be gone. And so it's really impossible what they're suggesting. They are suggesting an impossibility in order to justify the sinful desires in their heart. And Jesus is lovingly and graciously and patiently exposing this to them. Verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, therefore, they will be your judges. What does that mean? So apparently, in Israel around this time, there are some spiritual, religious, Jewish people who are going around Israel and casting out demons. No one is saying to them, you're doing that by the power of Satan. They're only saying that to Jesus. They have selective outrage against Jesus because they have a special dislike for him. See how inconsistent they are? So it's not everyone who casts out demons is serving Satan. It's just Jesus. Once again, 
Their inconsistent thinking is revealing their corrupt hearts. Corrupt thinking goes with a corrupt heart about spiritual things. And so be careful. Be careful about inconsistent thinking. Ways that we can come up with explanations to justify behavior that's not like God. I know that I, when I get hurt by people, I can like withdraw from them, and like take a step back, and kind of hide from them. Maybe as a way of like, punching them, or some sort of sinful response being sinned against. And, and I tell myself, oh, I'm just maintaining healthy boundaries. Oh, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just keeping myself emotionally healthy. God would want me to do that. God would really want me to stay emotionally healthy. But the Bible doesn't say, above all else, be emotionally healthy. The Bible says be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so, watch out. Watch out for reasons you come up with to not do what God's Word clearly tells you to do. And Jesus says, they will be your judges. I think that just means that the inconsistent approach to these two, to Jesus and the Jews who are casting out demons proves, that's the case in point, that they have corrupt motives in their approach against Jesus. Now, in verse 20, Jesus says the exact opposite. So, if they're wrong, if, if these people are wrong, that Jesus is casting out demons by Beelzebul, what is the only alternative? He's casting them out by God. So we see in verse 20, or sorry, verse 19. Or no, it is verse 20. <laughs> But if I cast them out by the finger of God, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. I love that expression, the finger of God. It's a picture of God's power coming into human lives and rescuing them from sin and slavery and death. Does anyone else here get excited when they think about the power of God breaking into your life and the lives of other people you love and rescuing them from sin and death and the devil? Like, do you want to see anything more than that? This is what I live to see. The most excited moments of my life are when I see God's power come on someone else and help them, or when I feel God's power come upon me and help me. Church, the re one reason why, and we're going to get to this, one reason why we want to see Satan and all his works bound in our church is so that we can see more of the power of God in our church and more of the power of God through our church. Amen. Every single person here, God wants his power to flow through you to other people in your life. There are people you know right now who need his power to rescue them, and he wants to use you as his power source to flow through to help them. He wants the finger of God to come through you into the life of other people. This language actually comes up earlier in the Bible. Um, it's in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, God's people are slaves. Right, there's a picture of spiritual bondage and slavery when God's people are in Egypt. 
And God sends Moses to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And what Moses does, as God judges Pharaoh and brings his people out, is he brings them from a land and a country of slavery and brings them to a land and a kingdom of freedom and life. Egypt, slavery and death. Israel, life. Here it is in Exodus 8.18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. What's my point? That when God extends his power and helps people, he's only doing the exact same thing that he's been doing for thousands of years. Thousands of years. It's his character to do this, friends. It's his character to rescue sinners. It's his character to heal sinners. Are you having trouble believing that God wants to do this? It's all he's ever done. This is exactly what he's been doing for thousands of years. He brought the Israel, Israel-like people out of slavery and brought them into Israel. He brought them into his kingdom, and he wants to bring people out of spiritual slavery into his kingdom today. This week, I was out with my MC having conversations. I was out with Love Twin Cities having conversations, and I was witnessing God do this very thing. This is happening in our day. God is setting people free. And He loves to do it. And He wants to keep doing it in and through us. The finger of God has come upon us, and then it says the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus further defines His work. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So now Jesus is about to talk about the way he works in a kind of surprising way that we don't think about very often. So when, when a violent man, when a brutal man, when an evil man starts oppressing and exploiting someone else and won't let them go and keeps hurting them and doesn't care about morality, doesn't care about the law, what is the only way to stop an oppressor like that? What is the only way to stop someone who's just using violence thoughtlessly? You gotta throw them in prison. Yeah, you got And in order to throw them in prison, someone stronger than them has to come and throw them in prison. Have you guys ever seen the movie Taken? With Liam Neeson? It's, a, it's kind of an old movie now. But what happens in that movie is his daughter is kidnapped and she's sold into sex slavery. Well, they actually kidnap the wrong daughter because this guy happens to be able to kill everyone. <laughs> and then this whole movie is about him just absolutely destroying everyone and everything in the way to get to his daughter. The fact that he was stronger than everyone and everything meant that he could rescue his daughter. And the fact that Jesus is stronger than everyone and everything means that he can rescue your soul. You know, we love to talk about Jesus, the Lamb. 
And I love Jesus the Lamb, that he's gentle, that he's compassionate, that he's patient. But I also love Jesus the Lion just as much. That he's a warrior and he destroys all my spiritual enemies and all your spiritual enemies in order to rescue, save, and redeem. We have spiritual enemies who will drag us to hell if they can. They are stronger than us. They are smarter than us. But Jesus loves to defeat them. He loves to defeat them. He loves to rescue us. He is the lion and he defeats the strong man. It's exactly what these verses are saying. I think one of the ways that we can tend to veer off to the side is we tend to think that demonic influence and demonic oppression is a thing that other people go through. This is something that really bad sinners go through. It's not something I go through. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. And to be clear, you may encounter people who have demonic oppression. And praise God that you know Jesus the warrior who can set them free. Praise God that you know someone who can actually help someone who's under demonic oppression. But oftentimes, we tend to think that's for someone else. That's not my struggle. And I think one reason we tend to think that is we tend to think, well, demons only possess people, and since I'm possessed and filled by the Holy Spirit, I can't be possessed by a demon. But actually, the Bible talks more about influence. Like, there's a spectrum of influence. And when you're so influenced by a demon, it can become indwelling. It can become, it takes over control. But there is a lot of steps before that. And guess what, church? We're under, we are under attack. We are being influenced every day by evil, spiritual beings. That's right. And if we're not aware about it, that gives them an advantage, because we won't pray about it. I want to draw your attention really quickly to Acts chapter 5, verse 3. It says, And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. See this verse? So Ananias, is, his heart is filled with Satan. And it causes him to lie to the Holy Spirit. There's no neutral here. You're either influenced by the Holy Spirit or influenced by Satan. Now, when he did this act, he still decided to do it. Look at this. It's, Peter says to him, Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? So the influence of the evil one came upon him, and he decided to yield to the influence of the evil one and sin against the Holy Spirit. And I'm, my great hope for our church is that God will use this sermon to convict us to stop yielding to the influence of the evil one anywhere. Anywhere. Where are you yielding to the influence of the evil one? 
which sin keeps clinging on and we keep yielding to it. For me, it was pornography for many years. And I really believe pornography and sexual immorality is one way the enemy is influencing the church and influencing our church right now. And I am pleading with us to make war against this. Maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing something else to mind. Maybe some addiction of some kind. Maybe greed. Maybe fits of anger. You know, fits of anger come from the evil one too. Where is the evil one influencing you? Where is he keeping you from yielding completely to Jesus? The good news I have for us this evening is that Jesus wants to set us free. He wants to set you free. You don't have to live under that influence any longer. You can be completely free from it. He is stronger than your enemy. He is stronger than the one who's oppressing you. He's stronger than the one who's trying to kill you. I want to give you guys two tools to go to war. Number one, since I started preparing for this sermon, when I feel temptation to do something I ought not to do, one of the first things my mind starts to do is to try to come up with why it's okay for me to do it. It's not that bad. I can do it just this once. God will forgive me. Well, I had a hard week, right? I can come up with any number of reasons why it's okay for me to commit this sin just this one time. And instead of arguing with myself, I just started to use this phrase, Ross, that's demonic. What you're thinking of right now is demonic. As soon as you name it for what it is and you're honest, you'll feel the power start to break. When you start to deceive yourself and talk yourself into it, its power will start to take control of you. Satan can't take control of you unless you start working with him and start deceiving yourself. As soon as you name it for what it is and say, this is demonic, as soon as you label his evil for what it is, this is demonic, taking the first step to being victorious. Another step I commend to you is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting together. Sam powerfully reminded us last week that God loves to give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And nothing helps stir up desperate prayer like fasting. When you miss a meal, those hunger pains remind you that your deepest need is not food, your deepest need is God's help, God's presence, God's power. You can, you can miss the energy you put into preparing the meal, the time in eating it, and the time in cleaning up, and instead pray for God's power over this specific stronghold. Pray for whatever else you want to, but pray also for that specific stronghold and you will begin to feel it break. So church, I invite you into those two strategies to wait for against the one who's trying to destroy you. To call it what it is and to pray and fast. Jesus loves to defeat our enemies. It's not his heart that's unwilling. It's us who are slow to ask for his help. 
It's not him, it's us. And may we ask him for more power. May we ask him for strength to defeat our enemies. And then the verse goes on. But when the stronger man attacks and overcomes him, what does it say? He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So Jesus comes into the situation. He disarms Satan. He takes away all his weapons of war, and he divides his spoil. That means we get to benefit from Jesus' victory. All of these little victories that we're talking about, the daily fight against Satan, the daily fight against temptation, all of those little fights can be victorious because of the great fight Jesus already won. He already took away the armor of Satan. He already divided his spoil. It's already over. He already knocked him out. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, Satan actually thought that he was destroying Jesus' kingdom. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, and Satan thought, man, if I just kill this guy, his kingdom will fall apart. But when Jesus went on the cross, and died, his death wasn't the end of his kingdom, it was the start of his kingdom and the end of Satan's kingdom. Amen. That's what we were talking about. We we're talking about Jesus defeated his enemy on the cross. He started his kingdom and ended Satan's kingdom. That's the kind of God that we're worshiping. His greatest weapon of war against us is accusation. Do, do we not feel the most prone to sin when we already feel like we're hopelessly condemned? Isn't that when you want to give in, when you feel like it's hopeless anyway? And it's not hopeless. It's never hopeless because of the blood of Christ. Satan's strongest weapon against you is gone. His armor is gone. His weapons are gone. You can have victory over every single sin because of the blood of Jesus. You're fighting a completely disarmed enemy. And you have the sword of the Spirit. And you can go home and Stay out tonight. <laughs> and he divides his spoil. Jesus defeated Satan and he rose from the dead. And we get to share in that victory. We get to rise from the dead too. You only have to fight for a few more years and then you get to live forever with Jesus. You get to share in his victory. You get to share in his defeat of the evil one. There's nothing that looked more like a defeat than the cross, and nothing that was more of a victory. It's the most surprising, amazing, beautiful reality ever. It is the greatest victory ever achieved, and it is a victory that helps you right now. When you go home and you feel that same old temptation, that's where the war starts. That's where your victory is found. On the cross. And if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never come to Him before, you can right now. Look what Jesus says next. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground in this war. A lot of us tend to think, well, I'm just, I'm not totally sold out for Jesus, but I'm not against him either. 
And guess what? There is no living under partial demonic influence. That's right. There's no such thing as living under partially under Satan's rule. Don't kid yourself. You're either all in or you're all out. Are you going to war in order to love and know Jesus, or are you walking away from him? Those are the only two options each day, day in and day out. To be completely aligned towards him, to completely turn towards him, or to completely turn against him. And I just invite you to turn towards him right now. The beautiful thing is that when you turn towards him, he's not looking for you to already have been completely victorious. He's not already looking to you to have already defeated your sin. He's not already looking to you to have already been perfectly cleaned up. That's the stuff he wants to do to you when you turn to him. Amen. That's the stuff he wants to do to you when you come to him. So just come. Come to him right now afresh. Afresh, if you already know him, surrender to him afresh. And if you don't know him yet, surrender to him anew. He loves to forgive. He loves to conquer sin. He loves to set free. And then Jesus says in verse 24, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. In finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. So Jesus is talking about the situation now where he has worked in someone's life and freed them from evil spiritual influence or even possession. It says that that evil spirit, once separated from the person, passes through waterless places seeking rest and it finds none. I'm not sure exactly what that means. But basically, these evil spirits, they do not like being apart from they're going to come back. It's not hospitable to them. It's not comfortable for them to be apart from the people they're tormenting, the people they've lived to hurt. And when it comes back, it says, I found the house swept and put in order. So the person was actually better. Their life would improve. But here's a great tragedy. They were empty. There was no one living inside of them. Friends, never Never respond to Jesus working in your life and freeing you from sin by then not turning and filling yourself up with Him. Never do that. Never do that. The whole point He's freeing you is so that you can have more of Him. That's the whole reason He's destroying your spiritual enemies, so you can have more of Jesus. So if you're getting freed from it and you're not filling yourself up with Christ, you're just leaving yourself vulnerable to greater influence and greater spiritual attack. And we've seen this happen in our church. We have seen people whom Jesus has set free return again to the world, and they're worse off. So church, let us not live on the basis of yesterday's grace. Every day, we have a need to re-receive Christ. Re-receive His presence. Re-receive His love. He loves to give it, and it is good for us to receive it each day. Because our enemies are going to come for us every day. They will come for us every day. They are relentless until he comes and puts them in the great fire. So please keep coming to him. Because then verse 26 says, then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. Which means that 
When spiritual influence comes back upon you after being freed from it, it's more complete and more powerful and more difficult to break than before. So may we, upon freedom, turn to Christ and get more of him. The main burden I want us to have this evening is that only Jesus can free us from Satan's lies and influence. That's it. It's all I want us to walk away from. All our lives are getting messed up in some way by Satan's lies and influence. And only Jesus can set us free from those things. And he loves to. He loves to set his people free from those things. So let's pray. Let's pray right now and ask him to do that very thing. Lord Jesus, you love a holy church. Fully devoted to you, fully cleansed, fully free from the influence of the evil one. And I ask that you take us several more steps in that direction right now. That whoever is has bondage to drugs or pornography or greed or anger or whatever is destroying them, that you would set them free right now. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. There is no lack of freedom in you. There is no lack of deliverance in you. There is no lack of help in you, God. And I pray that we freshly come to you right now for help and deliverance. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.